Amen. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be with y'all. That is why my voice is a little uh, is a little gone. But guess what? I feel like I've got another ten hours of adrenaline, and so. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm leading our discipleship school tomorrow morning to Tijuana, Mexico. We're leaving at 5 a.m. So you can be, um, uh, I've got five kids. Did I, did I send you a picture of my family? So I've got five kids. I'm taking my three boys uh, with me. Really pray for the, the six-year-old. In fact, we just pray right now, Lord, visit Baron uh, and let him love you with all of his heart and also let him love his father. Um, on, the, <laughs> on the trip, Christy has taken the two girls uh, somewhere else during that. Uh, during that time. Well, it's a great privilege to be here with you. I just wanted to speak um, a good word to, uh, to and about um, Brian and Jade. Christy and my wife, Christy, and um, Jade were in a, um, what do you call it? I'm blanking. Yep, Pastor's Wives Roundtable earlier this week. Christy just really enjoyed uh, being with her. And so I was praying about this morning. I love family. I love uh, spiritual family. The way, I, I love the way that y'all are interacting as a spiritual family. I just want to say, way to go. And I just wanted to say, Brian, to you and Jade, you know, you don't pick your family in terms of your, your actual family. Uh, you don't pick your family. And we happen to be in the same organization. If we weren't, we would choose you as friends. And one of the reasons for that is we have found y'all to be so trustworthy. And I just want to say that publicly about Brian and Jade. I think in our day, leader, you know, people are very skeptical of leaders, primarily spiritual leaders. And so to have leaders that are trustworthy in your midst should be grateful. Uh, and I'm not saying that you are not. I'm, I, I just want to say about you guys, you are trustworthy. We believe in you, and we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful to get to walk uh, with you guys. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's going to be our primary text. And as you uh, turn there, let me tell you a brief story. Uh, about 10 days ago, I knew I was going to be coming here and was looking for a prep uh, time. And I, we had a snow day uh, in Michigan and took three of my kids swimming. Sitting beside the pool, I began putting some thoughts together about this message. Literally five minutes uh, into that process, uh, the whistle blows. It's time to get out of the pool. Poop is in the pool. <laughs> it's a bummer. You know, it's a super bummer. They were, kids, were have, kids were having a great time. And so, you know, like Brian said, let's be solutions oriented. Let's go to the next pool. So we went over to the lap pool. There was one lane that was open. And so two of, my, those, two of those three kids are water safe. They swim down to the deep end. The lifeguard comes over and he says, sir, are your, are your, have your kids passed the test? And I said, um, I guarantee you they can swim or I wouldn't let them go into the deep end. But it's tempted to lie because, you know, they got kicked out of the pool. But I said, you know what? No, they have not passed the test. Okay, they got to get out. I said, here's the thought. Could you administer the test really quick? Like they're, they can swim. They said, you know, we're not able to do that right now. And so you see where this is going. I'm trying to think through a message on complaining, and it's got bye-bye. And I was like, okay, we can do this. And so I said, okay, kids, let's, we're going to come on down to this part of the pool. Less than 30 seconds, the other lifeguard. Um, everybody out of the pool, or everybody out of the lane, got a lesson. So I'm looking, no one's around. I'm like, where? And one kid, lesson for one kid. <clears throat> so the one kid shut, shut down the lane. Here is my point. I began instantly, and my kids followed suit of such a good discipler of them, to complain. You know what? No, no lifeguard uh, nor any other parent had to come up to me and say, hey, buddy, you know what you should do in this moment? You should really complain because you got the short end of the stick. You tried to take your kids swimming, and you know, it just didn't, didn't really work out. I have already been discipled for 40 years of my life to complain by my culture, by my flesh, etc. 
and so have you. <laughs> We've been discipled, and I th- that's why I love what y'all are doing this year with rejoicing, of saying, Lord, we want to be discipled actually by Jesus. We want to be discipled by your ways, but we recognize that we have a problem, that all of us, when situations arise like that, our knee-jerk reaction is to move into complaining. It happened so naturally <laughs> for me. Um, and it honestly, without having doing this message today at the, um, whatever, at the airport, it would have started again. So thank you for the opportunity to not sin, uh, because we're going to see today that complaining is sin, that it is evil, and we're going to establish that, but then we're going to see that God, because he is faithful, provides a way of escape for us. Why this is an important topic, I believe complaining resists what God wants to do in literally every part of our lives. So if you're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal, it actually is. <laughs> believe it resists what God wants to do. Why? It is an expression of unbelief, complaining is, that quenches the Holy Spirit by focusing on real and potential problems rather than focusing on who God is and what he has said about you or about a circumstance. So let's look at the text. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Pretty common passage here. It says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As a pastor, I have quoted that passage countless times. Someone comes, and I want to try to make them not feel uh, like their specific temptation is unique to them. I quote that passage. I've had that passage quoted to me. I, you probably have quoted this passage. Maybe you've had it quoted to you. And usually it's in a standalone. I want to look at it in its context. Because I believe it's, it's fairly startling when we do so. So it's, the context is what you are in in the series. The context is the Exodus and the wilderness uh, wanderings of Israel. I'm going to start with verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all, and every time I say all, I want you to say it with me, so all, so go ahead and say all, were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and ate the same spiritual food, and okay, drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Watch this. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, now here's the other word, with most, say most, most of them God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Let me give you a brief summary, all. If we look back in the Old Testament, um, the Bible and you know, people that comment on the Bible will say that about a half million people came out of Egypt during the Exodus, it's a large quantity, and that they were a mixed multitude. It was not just Israel. Uh, there were other sojourners uh, and others that uh, God uh, allowed to be in that um, Exodus generation. So they all passed through the Red Sea. They all experienced a deliverance miracle. All of them did. All experienced provision miracles related to human need of food and drink. All of them. All were followed, this is crazy, by the pre-incarnate Christ before Jesus came in the incarnation. Scripture is indicating. He was with them at that time. Followed because they were loved and precious to God. That's my comment. So those were all. Most Most of them did not experience what God intended for them, which was to bring them into the promised land, the fullness of his promise. Most didn't enter. Most fell short of God's best. And here's my, so that's the historical text. My question to you is, do you want to be remembered historically? This is a bummer. 
that generation is remembered very negatively throughout church history. Do you want to be remembered, and do we want to be remembered in our generation as a most person or a some person? A most or a some? Most, the majority in our land are complainers. Most. That's not, that shouldn't be a shocker to anyone. Probably most, and this is not an indictment or a judgment, it's an observation. You think about your family, you might say, most of us are complainers. Now, most people don't think they are a complaint. Most people don't think they do complain. But when we get fair feedback from others, you're like, like when my wife will actually tell me how it is, she'll be like, you complain a lot. I'm like, give me an example. She's like, gladly. Letter A. You know, blah, 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 blah. not keeping a record of wrongs, but she's like, you asked. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. I have a problem. Jesus, I need you. Help me, deliver me. I don't, want, I don't want a spirit of complaining. I want a spirit of rejoicing. So we have to recognize, you know, most in our land and our day fall into the category of complainers. So why would we want to be in that majority? I want, I want to advocate that we would be in the some, not the most. But that was their generation, and that was not our generation. I was thinking about, you know, all nations are going to be gathered before the Lord one day, and I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But I picked, so this is just my own, this is not biblical, this is just my thought. I'm like, what if God, you know, we're all before the Lord, and what if he just takes us through each generation? He's like, here are the particular challenges of this generation, and here here is how most people responded to those challenges. And then he, he just goes through history. He gets to our generation, and he gets to our generation in our country. And he's like, okay, you lived in this particular generation in this country. And in your generation, immorality spiked. And so that was a challenge that you faced. So you had a spiking of immorality uh, in your generation. And there was also a great undercurrent of discontent in your whole nation. So that, is what you, that was the deck that you were dealt. So that was the culture in which you were raised. Most Americans in that generation complained often about most things in life. Weather, politics, economy, fill in the blank. And I don't care where you land on those different things. Most people complain about all those things most of the time or all of the time. Some, most, some, and this is what I want to advocate that we would be in, some overcame in that generation and they pleased me and they learned to defeat what I'm going to call the blight of complaining. So will we go down in history as a most or a some? Will you go down in history as a most individual or as a some individuals? Go back to the text. So water flows from the rock to hydrate. I mean, think about that. Hundreds of thousands are hydrated from this rock. It's nutty. So water was flowing from this rock. What should have flowed, issued forth from the heart of the people, thanks and praise. But evil actually flowed from the heart. Should have been a grateful recipient of the grace of God. But evil flowed forth from their heart. Why do I say evil? If you put verse 6, because the text does. It says, these things took place as examples for us. Scripture doesn't say that a ton in Scripture. When it does, we need to pay attention. It's like, this stuff isn't just history. It was written down for a purpose. One of those purposes is for you and me to learn from it and not repeat what they did. 
They're examples that we might not desire evil as they did. And now we get some examples. Here we go. The first one, idolatry. Verse 7, don't be idolatrous. As some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. That was evil in God's sight. Two, sexual morality. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. It was evil in God's sight. Testing God. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Evil in God's sight. And now we come to our topic. And I just wanted to put it in the, I wanted to contextualize it and put it alongside the other items that scripture puts there. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So then comes the escape verse that we've already read, meaning that you will not only be tempted towards idolatry, sexual morality, testing God, but you will be tempted to complain. There is a spiritual dynamic at work when we talk about this topic of complaining. And the motivation the text gives us here is not because you don't want to be destroyed. They were destroyed by the destroyer. Complaining destroys lives, yours and the lives of others. We don't think so because it is socially acceptable. But I want to just present a scenario to you. I made this up, and it's going to make you uncomfortable, but that's good. So just smile as we we go through it. So suppose you got a communication, text, email, whatever, from someone in your life group, and they said this to you. Hey, um, we want to invite the whole life group over to participate in sexual immorality. Together. You're invited. Um, to share in an evening of debauchery. Come alone or bring your spouse. We don't care. Just We just want you to be able to indulge every sexual, ta- every sexual appetite that you have. That's the goal of the evening. Now, if you, you're like, dude, you're, that's ludicrous. That obviously wouldn't happen. Just, just go with me. I know that. Just go with me. How would you respond? Hopefully you would be outraged. <laughs> Hopefully you would confront the person that Senate, you would seek for them to repent because obviously you would know what the, uh, what if that actually happened, the evil nature of it, the blatant sinfulness of it, and the fallout that would come from it. It would be seen as evil and not socially acceptable behavior in the church. But apparently, there is another form of evil that destroys lives just like that would. It's called complaining. It is socially acceptable. And it is welcome in our homes and in our life groups and in our church families. We don't, inv- we don't send invitations to do it. We just do it. Um, if we did send an invitation, I thought it could be like this. Hey, guys, let's meet up and gratify our flesh by dishonoring the governmental leaders in our lives, demeaning our kids and friends, uh, uh, if you'd like to. And then for kicks, let's get a spinner out, and whatever issue that spinner lands on, let's just lay into that topic as well. It's going to be a great time. Um, I really hope you can make it. I'm so looking forward to doing this with you. You know, I always leave our times together just feeling like you get me. Now, hopefully that hits a little close to home, right? What would happen if complaining became as socially unacceptable as other forms of evil that we as a church would say, well, obviously that's evil. 
obviously that is socially unacceptable. Obviously, we wouldn't do that. I would love to see complaining in all of our lives transition from socially acceptable sin and evil that destroys lives, but that we enjoy doing, transitioned over here into this category. It is no longer acceptable for us to tolerate a spirit of complaining because we are recognizing that what the word of God says is it is, it is, it is evil. Just like the other things that we would say, oh, we wouldn't do that. That's, that's socially unacceptable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't invite someone over to do that. I wouldn't, the people that I love, I wouldn't want them to engage in something that's going to destroy their lives. Just offering that as a, as a thought. When we moved to Michigan, I knew that one of our challenges as a church planning team was going to succumb to complaining uh, about everything, but particularly our team was a majority Texas team, and I knew that our, one of our challenges was going to be to complain about the weather. So we moved there in 2013, and that was the year of the polar vortex. And the next year was equally as frigid. <clears throat> and um, everyone kept saying, oh, this is, this is an outlier. You know, this doesn't always happen. And I, I'm like, dude, I've been here two years. And bo- both years, I hate it the whole time. <laughs> got little kids. I got put on all these little gloves and little feet, you know, get them, get them all. So, but I, I, knew, I knew my own heart. And I knew that my temptation to complain was common demand. So my team also would be in the same position. So I challenged them to sign a covenant of surrender. I didn't mandate anyone do it. I said, look guys, I actually don't think that we're going to survive. I think that it will probably destroy us. If every time we go outside to get the dadgum ice off our car, we just complain and then we text someone something that's socially acceptable, like an emoticon, you know, of exasperation so that someone else, so that we can just pass on that blessing, destroy other lives. So I said, what if we didn't do that? Everyone else that lives here has to deal with this nonsense. So we need to learn to deal with it as well. But I, I think it's going to take us a little more and some intentionality. And so I put it before them. And you know what? Every person on the team signed that covenant of surrender. And you know what happened that year? Every person got their life transformed. Because... It caught, no one, wanted to, no one wanted to be the one that broke it. And I was like, I, I just did it. It was a whim. Like, it was a whim from prayer. And I was like, I don't know. Probably no one will do this anyway. I'm just going to throw it out there. And then everyone did it, and it changed everyone's lives, including mine. And I, said, I started interviewing people. And I said, so tell me about this. Tell me a little more. And they're like, well, you know, we signed our name, so we committed, and there was some public accountability. And I, oh, and I also Xeroxed it, and I had them put it up on their fridge. So every day they had to walk by it and see that they'd signed their life away. So there's some public accountability to it, but they said, you know, we'd be together and we would be um, tempted to complain. And so they said, but, we could, but it wasn't an option for us, so we just laughed instead. So instead of sowing into evil and destruction, they sowed into laughter, and it changed the environment. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna offer that as a as an idea. What would happen? Maybe you don't do this as a church. What would happen if you did that as a family? I'm just thinking I need to reintegr- reintroduce that to my own family. What would happen as a life group? If you're like, dude, as a church we're going after this, so we're gonna align with that. Or you know, entire entire church communities, you you would shine like a city on a hill. 
like people, people that came and were part of your community would be like, what is different about you guys? And you'd be like, you know what? One of the things that God has done in our midst is he has convicted us that we are a people of rejoicing. And so to, to rejoice always, again, I say rejoice, we recognize that we need to deal with evil in our midst. And so we humbled ourselves and we together, we went after this thing. I just want to put that forward as both an invitation and a challenge to your community. Make it socially unacceptable. Here's how my perspective, going back to the poop in the pool story, here's, here, here's, my, here's how my perspective changed after I indulged in my son. As I thought back on it, I was like, you know, thanks and praise, that's one of the ways of escape that God gives us, one of the ways to reframe and get a different perspective. So here's what I wrote down. It's like, you know, most people, um, they don't have the ability to even take in the world, they don't have the ability to take their kids swimming at all. Um, many people, they lack access to clean water to drink, much less to, to swim in. Uh, maybe the person that, you know, had that accident was like my brother who lives with Crohn's disease and actually can't control his bowel functions. Um, uh, you know, I, I just started going through all these different things, and I was like, Lord, thank you that some brilliant person invented decontamination so that we don't get whatever waterborne illness or disease would come from, and I, I, I literally, I just, it started going like this. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm grateful that these teenage lifeguards that I was initially insulted by, who told me I'm sorry, and I said, in my inner man, there's no way you know how sorry, you don't even have a kid, you don't know what it's like to do a disappointed, discontent kid for the, for the rest of the day. I was like, I'm thankful that they actually followed protocol, praise God. Praise God that they submitted to their authority rather than succumbing to uh, a disgruntled father. And a better response with perspective would have been, thank you, Lord, that my kids' bodies work, that they can enjoy swimming. Thank you, Father, that we live in a generation where parents actually have some manner of leisure time to enjoy time with their kids. And I began to pray for the nations that lack, you're like, I think you went a little farther. I have a tendency to over-spiritualize, okay? Just let me have my day. (laughs) I want to go that way, though, instead of the other way, right? So I, I did. I said, Lord, I pray right now for nations that, have, that, do, that lack access to clean water, not just to swim in, but to drink because of amoebas and parasites. In other words, and I began to pray. I'm being authentic. I, I said, Lord, send laborers to these villages in Mozambique and Malawi, Burundi and Botswana and Ethiopia and Eritrea. Help us see the world as you see it and help us feel about the world how you feel about it. Complaining shrinks our world. But thanks and praise, it expands our perspective on who God is, on the situation itself. Let me close uh, with one story that helped us re, uh, reframe our perspective. When we uh, were in Michigan, we were, about a, uh, uh, we were still in Michigan. When we had moved, we were about a year or so in, and we were tight everywhere around. Uh, we had, we'd had our fifth child, and so inside our house, you know, it felt like this just tightness. You know, just everyone is crawling over everybody, lots of crawling we were tight financially. Um, it was super hard to get one person to show up to our little gatherings. <laughs> Very hard. And so it just felt like a strain. And we were succumbing to the temptation that's common to man to complain. And so we began to go through like, well, if we weren't church planners, man, we'd have more money. If we, weren't, if, uh, if we were in a different part of the nation, it wouldn't be so hard to, get, you know, to, share, to share Jesus with people or to you know, get people into life groups. If we, you know, and you, you start going down that deal, it's, it's really easy to pick up steam. Full head of steam. Full speed ahead. Let's go. 
And it's just, it's just complain about every, every single thing. And in the midst of that, I had an encounter with God. Um, I was trying to get into a library. It wasn't open. I went to the car and I read my, uh, I just was reading the Bible on my phone, Luke 10, Good Samaritan, Common Story. And the Lord visited me. I just began to weep. That's uncommon for me. I'm reading the Bible. I'm weeping. And I was encountering God's mercy. And uh, he'd put someone on my heart in the midst of that from, uh, from back home. And I went back to Texas and I said, I, I feel like, um, by the way, that's my alarm telling me that I, I need to be on the uh, finishing up. So praise the Lord. Um, I, I, I am finishing up. Thank you, clock. Um, I, went back, I went back home in the midst of all the tightness that we were experiencing. I felt like we were to invite this friend, this single mom and her child to move, move to Michigan and move in with us. And um, I was like, well... I know Christy's not going to go for that. I mean, we're tight on everything and just have her move in for free. And then that's more, you know. So I went and said, hey, I encountered God's mercy, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I know we're not going to do this, but I'm going to throw it out there because I want to be, you know, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to have partial obedience. I know that we're not going to actually do it. But if I do this, then I'll be justified before the Lord. And I said, I said, it's pretty crazy, huh? She's like, um, is it crazy that I don't think it's crazy? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> And so I said, so are we doing this? And she's like, I don't even know that we need to pray. I mean, we, we prayed, okay, we pray. Thank you, Lord, we pray. <laughs> Brian's like, next week, we're gonna undo that theology. <laughs> we are people that believe in prayer, okay. We believe in prayer, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the avenue of prayer. The point was, it, it just felt like God was on it, right? So we made the invitation. She moved across the country, moved in with us, and part of, uh, you know, the, I'm not going to tell you the full story, but here's, one, here's my point. It caused some challenges in our home life. But it helped defeat complaining in our life. You know why? The Bible says, um, in that same wilderness generation, today if you hear his voice, can you finish it for me? Don't harden your heart. By the grace of God, we chose in that moment to say yes to God, to soften our heart, to say that this doesn't make any sense to us in the natural. We're tight on every side. But he wanted to extend his mercy. And so as that happened, what happened was every single one of the things that we complained about in our life at that time got reframed. We complained about the size of our house being too small. Well, the young lady that moved in with us didn't have a house. We complained about different parenting things. Well, guess what? The, the child that moved into our house uh, didn't have a dad. We complained about our financial situation, but when, in, when it, we got perspective, we were loaded by comparison. We complained about X, Y, Z, but as we worked with this young lady, who is our dear friend, um, we were like, we have nothing to complain about. <laughs> so even though that, that wasn't the purpose that we were like, hey, come up here and help us with our problem, we, we are historic complainers, and we think that God wants to use you to reframe things in our life. and to pro- You know, okay, that's ridiculous. But that is what happened and was a byproduct of a simple yes of obedience to the Lord. I'll tell you one more thing that happened from that. Well, first of all, at the end of that time, part of the thing we were helping her on um, finances and to see God deliver her. Um, out of death, it seemed impossible. And by the end of the year, and by natural means and supernatural means, God had eliminated like 40K of consumer debt out of her life. Praise God. He also had delivered her from fear 
and just a lot of other stuff. And she cooked us a meal, and she said, my life is, and my, the life of my child is forever changed by a simple yes that y'all gave. And she was obviously reckoning that this was God, but that, you know, that we, we just partnered with him. She said, the generations through our family are forever changed. She said, um, you know, I now feel back to who the person that God created me to be before my parents got divorced. I was like, that's significant. Like, that's awesome. Restoring the desolation of generations. Well, I was on a train about a month ago with a young guy in our midst. Um, he's from India. And he went through our school a couple of years ago. And he wanted me to go with him to uh, this deal in Chicago. And we're riding on the train. And I, and I was just picking his brain. It's like, you know, what, what connected you in? Or what, you know, to like our, our church? Because he, he may be our first church planner that we send out overseas. And uh, so we're, go- we're going through the-, the deal, and he said, you know, when I first, uh, he had a bad experience with church. You might be able to connect with him on that. And he said, I didn't trust the church. He said, when I, when I would come to church, I hated you. Uh, I didn't trust any preachers. I'd come for the worship, then I would go lay down in the-, in the chairs in the back, and I was like, who is this guy? What does he know? Why would I listen to him? And I was like, praise the Lord, brother. Good to be friends. <laughs> uh, and he said, you know, but what changed for me had nothing to do with like a Sunday or anything like that. He said, I started interviewing people in the community, like in the church community. And he said, I talked to this young lady about her story and how did she end up as a part of this community. And she told me her perspective on when she moved up here and kind of that interaction that I just described to you. And he said, I can trust that person. And so God healed him. Are you following me? Fed him off of a testimony of a weak act of faith on our part. (laughs) We thought we were doing one thing, and God was doing all these other things that we had no idea. So, Brian, come on up to, to move us into response. My encouragement is this. When you begin to address um, the evil of complaining in your life and remove the poop from your own pool, <laughs> God wants to do abundantly above and beyond what we ask or think that he's able to do. So let's, let's respond to the Lord together. Thank you, Jim.